This is episode 387 of the 200 Churches podcast. As time has gone on, I am more of a believer than ever that people want small churches. Majority of people want small churches. So I I tend to feel like uh, the large church feel most of our people wouldn't be up for it. We all like going to conference and having the big thing now and then. But most of the people we have, they, they want the community. They want to know everyone who's there. And so it has its huge pluses, no doubt about it. Having smaller churches, smaller communities has its huge pluses. Welcome to the 200 Churches Podcast, where every Wednesday we produce a legit episode of ministry encouragement for pastors of small churches. Now, here are two guys who have been encouraging thousands of pastors all around the world, good friends, pastors, and podcast partners, Jeff and Johnny. This is the 200 Churches Podcast. My name is Jeff Katie. I'm here in the wonderful, opulent, and luxurious 200 Churches Podcast Sound Studio. And I've got my iPhone in my hand, and I'm looking at episode 15. 15. I just said episode 387. Episode 15 is called Our Fantasy Sunday Morning Service. The date is April the 24th, 2013. I tell you, I love this about the internet. I love this. I'm missing Johnny tonight. Johnny told me this week that he was at a theme park with his kids, so he wasn't able to join me. And uh, so I pulled up episode 15, which I always joke with Johnny that this is my favorite of all of our episodes. It was the most fun to make. It's 15 minutes long. So if you, like me, are missing Johnny, just search in your Chrome browser or in your, your internet browser, episode 15, 200 churches. And this post pops right up. I'm just scrolling through it with my thumb right now because I'm just having all the good feelings about uh, what we did just those first few months. It was so much fun. We had no idea what we were doing. And uh, this, is a, this is a really fun episode with Johnny and I. Our voices are a little different. So back then, Johnny had one kid. Now he's got four. And back then, I had uh, four kids and one daughter who was married. Now I have all my kids married and eight grandchildren. So there you go. So the internet is fun. It can archive your memories and your experiences. And for Johnny and I, a lot of conversations with each other and with a lot of great guests. So today on episode 387, we've got Rowan Bell. Rowan Bell is from Australia and I'm not even going to try to pronounce where he's from. He's from the Sydney area of Australia. But if you look in your podcast description here, this episode description, I'll have a link to his church and to his location and had a great conversation with Rowan. He's been pastoring for, I don't know, 20 plus years. And he is the pastor of a C3 church. I asked him in this episode exactly what a C3 church is. And and he tells us, and he was just a lot of fun. I met him on John Fingeldi's Hub. If you wonder what the Hub is, it's a community of pastors that you can subscribe to at growahealthychurch.com. And a lot of great material in there from John. Uh, John is a, a wealth of wisdom and ministry wisdom and experience. And he's got a great Hub And so if you're looking for materials to help yourself grow as a pastor or to train your staff, it's all there for you at a very reasonable cost. And I saw Pastor Rowan Bell in there and invited him on the podcast. So I want to get right to it. This is a lot of fun. We had a great conversation. For me, it was 8 p.m. in the evening. For him, it was 11 a.m. the next day. That's that's just a blast. So here's my conversation with Rowan Bell. Rowan Bell, welcome to the 200 Churches podcast. I've been waiting for weeks to get you on, and here you are. It's good to have oh, you. Thanks, Jeff. I am very honored, privileged to be with you. I was uh, surprised, actually, to hear you say that you've been waiting to invite me along. So thanks so much for having me. I'm very, very honored. Well, John... Finkeldi is on the other side of Australia. He is. I've never been over his side of the world. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Well, I've talked to a few on your side. Uh, Is Brisbane north of you? Brisbane is north of me, yeah. Yes. A few people in that area and then down in New Wales? New South Wales. Yep, that's where we are. Yes. Sydney's Sydney's the capital. Contrary to what Americans think, Sydney isn't the capital of Australia, but uh, Canberra is, but uh, it's surrounded by New South Wales. 
Yeah. Well, see that? We, we've already learned something. Yeah. We've already learned something. <laughs> hey, I got I to gotta poke at you for a second, man. I was, yeah, I was getting on... I was getting on your website to look at maybe a a message or or two. Wow. I found you were like politicizing this one message. It was all about politics a couple of weeks ago. Was I? I was amazing. I was trying not to be political there, Jeff. (laughs) 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 You you had me going at the beginning of it though, because Uh, I'm watching it, you know, and I'm just trying to kind of skip through it a little bit and I have to watch the whole 40 minutes or whatever. Yeah. I'm like, no, I got, I got to speed this up and listen to more of this one. It was really good. It was oh, really thanks. good. So thanks. let's come out of the gate on this one. You sure. said as a C3 pastor. Yep. What is a C3 pastor when you refer to it that way in Australia? So C3 Church is our movement or denomination. We're, we say we're a movement of churches. So our mutual friend, John Finkeldy, is also uh, ordained through C3 pastor as well. We have uh, um, just over 100 churches in Australia. The movement was started by Pastor Phil Pringle and Chris Pringle, who moved from New Zealand to Sydney. And I think we now have uh, 400 plus uh, locations, churches all around the world, really, most continents of the world. So a C3 pastor here in Australia is uh, we are ordained by our by the movement to serve in our local churches. And then we have other pastors who can be ordained as associate pastors, but they're ordained within our local church, not necessarily across our movement of churches. Okay. Okay. So yeah. how long have you been in ministry? Um, coming up to, we started very young, started as a very young pastor. We were first married when we were, uh, we were 19 and we were doing some kind of assistant pastoral work, I suppose, when we were about 20 in a little church in, in Canberra, the capital where we grew up. Uh, but uh, I guess probably in terms of having uh, lead pastor roles. We pastored a little church in Canberra for three years, then discovered we didn't have a clue what we were doing and went back yeah. to Bible college and started all over again and uh, started on, on, in a larger church actually after doing a little church. We were at a variety of roles. Um, my wife and I, over about 10 years at, at quite a large church, which I think peaked at about 900, which is big for Australia. And uh, then in 2011, we were sent out to plant a, a little church uh, right at the end of 2011, took over another church that was affiliated with our group of churches uh, three months later following a moral failure of a pastor who um, mm. had been taking lots of money out of the offering, keep it simple. And uh, and so we've pastored those two churches um, as, as dual location multi-site for the last well, for 10 years and then about two years ago, coming up to two years ago, we, t- uh, we took over the leadership of a third location, um, which was a long 30-year history church. So we now have a, a three-location multi-site church, all small churches. So uh, 90, one's 90, one is 130, 140, and another is about 200 to 220. So they're all in that small to mid-size uh, category. And What's the furthest apart that they are? Uh, about about an hour apart, most of them. So two of them are, okay. f- are twenty five minutes apart. Forty, yeah. So an hour is the longest distance to drive. Yeah, and and yeah. you've got a staff. You have campus pastors at two of the yeah. locations, and you yeah, at a third. That's right. Yep, yep. And we yeah. kind of do. It, my wife and I do it at the third one. We have an associate pastor there, but yeah, we have location pastors okay. at our other two. Yep. And the preaching, how does that work? Complicated. We share it around. So uh, uh, two of our lo- two of our services that happen on Sunday mornings happen at the same time. So my wife and I are often going in different directions on a Sunday morning, um, and then our other third location happens in the afternoon. And uh, so we kind of mix it up, mix it around. So probably my I'm probably preaching uh, about once every three weeks in every location my wife's probably once every four to five weeks and then our location pastors and other teams are sharing that around as well that sounds administratively like a challenge is it a challenge you, you should see my spreadsheet Jeff <laughs> it's, it's okay for me because I'm administrative my wife just says hey what are we doing and I just tell her but uh, yeah we have yeah. it's a massive job administratively to set that up at the beginning of the year and then even if we have to change one week, it's amazing the flow-on effect it has to the spreadsheet. But right, um, it right. calls for so, a lot of pre-planning. So you're gifted in that. You're gifted Love in that. administration. Love yep. Love yeah. admin. That's super because uh, I yeah. could not sit in your seat. <laughs> no. 
No, well, thank you. I mean, I, I do love it, although as I'm uh, getting, I'm just turned 50 and getting on a ministry, I'm getting increasingly frustrated with having to do as much admin. Not not that I don't like mm. it, but I, it gets in the way of the other things that I'd like to do. So it's a bit of a yeah. prayer point for us. We're looking for some, some resources to be able to really have um, a high-level business manager kind of admin role that would help us to free me up to do other things because I'm still carrying quite a bit of that admin myself. Yeah. And that's yeah. amazingly hard to find, isn't it? You know, it to is find hard. somebody yeah. Yeah. that that yeah. fits to get done what you want to yeah. get done, yeah. but then also to have the chemistry and the connection with the rest of the team and with yeah. the ministry and the, the the location and all of that. It's yeah. uh, it is pretty tricky. It's challenging. Yeah, we've got a great assistant who works with us at the moment, Amanda. She's fantastic, but she's working in other roles, a bit of worship and a, and a bit of admin, and she's our bookkeeper. So she's kind of doing a little bit of that, but there's so much more administration that we're not resourced or can't expect her to take on in her limited role that she has. So if we have somebody who is financially independent and who's gifted in this way and who's listening and who wants to do like a one-year internship in Australia, they should, Come on they over. should connect with you. <laughs> Come right? on over. We'd love, we'd love to hear from you. Come and enjoy uh, Australia, the home of the you – know, we've, we've had everything over here lately. It's a great experience. We've had fire, famine, flood, plague, the whole deal. Oh, <laughs> it's man. all happening. Yeah. Same in America, though. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's, it's crazy. incredible, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Well, one of the ongoing fun things that I have with John – from Perth is we talk about the the dangerous wildlife in Australia. <laughs> yes, I've heard you chat with him about that. Yeah, <laughs> <Platypi> <laughs> what is it with you guys thinking we, we have we walk out of the out of the airport and suddenly we're in the middle of a desert surrounded by platypus and and wild dangerous spiders? It's well, not quite like that, Jeff. <laughs> you got to put your body armor on, man. Stuff is reaching up to grab at you like crazy. You can't walk uh, in the park. You got to, you know, the <laughs> kangaroos come up and they want to start boxing with you. And <laughs> Yeah, I know. You guys have got it, you got it wrong. It's not quite like that over here. They're out well, there in the desert. Long, They've got to get out of the desert. That's long right. Long. As long as you stay in the civilized areas and you don't yeah, go in the, right. in the outback, right? You got it. Stay away from the outback. You're pretty safe. Yeah. There you go. So yeah. you, you're in smaller churches. You say smaller yeah. churches. Of course, when you put them together, you're a church of, what, like four or five hundred? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, we're like probably that. yeah, about five, four to five hundred, yeah, across the three locations. Yeah, that's right. And and you guys had uh quite a time with COVID being shut down. Yeah. Uh not initially, right? But then right after that, didn't it kind of it kind of uh, got you down. late? We shut down in well, the Prime Minister shut us down in March on forty eight hours notice, March of twenty twenty. Um, okay. Friday, Friday afternoon, he shut us down. By Sunday, we were online. So churches had been planning, like us had been saying, we need to go to live streaming and we've been talking about it for five years. Well, we had 36 hours to make it happen. So we were closed. Uh, we were we were online only for from about March through to probably October of 2020. And then we opened up oh, again. Okay. And then in New South Wales, we were shut down again in June of 2021 through to about uh, November of 2021. So we've had two two periods of lock lockdown. Which yeah. one was harder, Rowan? Oh, good question. Really good question. Uh, two different ways, I think. The first one was harder because um, it, functionally it was harder because we were finding our feet with how to do live streaming and pre-recording and then uploading and working out what was going to work. Uh, so that was that was harder um, in that sense. When we got to the second one, we kind of knew what we were doing. So we, we basically had less than 12 hours notice. The New South Wales government shut us down at 3 o'clock on Saturday afternoon. So we knew we were mm. going to be online, you know, the next morning. But we were able to slip back into that pretty quickly. But the second one was harder on our community, I think. The, the, the lockdowns were longer. Uh, more taxing on the community, much stricter in the, in the 2021 lockdown. Uh, hmm. Well, south of me, Melbourne was uh, one of the most locked down cities in the world. They had, uh, I don't know, 200 something days where they weren't out of their homes, basically. So, uh, oh, really? Yeah. Wow. Which was making news over there in America, actually, because, <laughs> because mm -hmm. it was such a big lockdown. So they had it pretty tough. The Victorians, the south, the state south of us had it worse. Well, once yeah. we had our initial lockdown, we were back open by June 1st in 2020. Wow. Yep. And then it, then it just kind of expanded from there. And by the yeah. fall, the fall of 21 was when it really felt like, okay, people are people are back now. 
Yeah. And then this past school year, we've grown a lot, actually. A lot of new people. Great. Yeah. It, it's almost like, you know, they worried about the churches, you know, not people wouldn't come back. People aren't going to yeah. go to church anymore. Well, it's almost as if the ones that were just doing it because that was just the mode they were in, some of them didn't come back. But yeah. it seems like a whole bunch of people that couldn't go all of a sudden maybe wanted to. And then once everything opened back up, then people just started showing up. Really interesting. That, that's inspiring to me because I, I feel like, you know, reflecting on what's happening in our culture over here and, uh, you know, we've pretty much every church in Australia, every pastor, it doesn't matter what denomination I chat with, I'd say we're all saying we're probably running at something like 50 to 60% attendance of what we had prior to COVID. Uh, so that's a challenge as, mm. as pastors thinking through what is God doing in the middle of that? What do we need to be doing differently? Obviously, there's online. We still Most churches are still live streaming or yeah. have some kind of online content as well. But, uh, yeah, we haven't seen anywhere near that pickup. And, you know, I've been talking to John Finkelly, our mutual friend, and he says he gets it everywhere. Uh, teams, people not coming back yet. We actually just had some statistics released yesterday mm. from our federal census. In uh, was done, taken last year. They do it every five years over here. And they've seen a massive swing away from those that identify as any sort of religion. So that's that's putting us more and more on the fringes than probably what you've got in the United States. I think uh, it said that 43% of Australians now uh, identified as Christian and 38.9% recognised, they, they call themselves the nun, they are the nuns, no religion. Yeah. So And that has changed by 9% each way. So we've had an 18% swing in the last five years. So we are increasingly mm. moving to the point where the Christian church is definitely seen as a, a minority. And that... Um, that creates with it its own challenges to how, how do you run church that is reaching people. So it's a very different challenge over here yeah. for us. Yeah. Well, I've been telling our people, you know, the culture is dark and that's when the light can shine. You, you got know? it. Yeah. People are, people are in a world where they're afraid, they're nervous, they're agitated, yeah. they're stressed, they're polarized. Yeah. And there's an opportunity for the kingdom culture to step yeah. in. Oh, I'm with you there, Jeff. I think that's probably yeah. what you might have heard me talking about, you know, in, on my sermon, actually, when I was trying I not to, to be too political. No, well, I was really, essentially, I'm trying to encourage our people that, uh, you know, the church has always been most effective on the fringes of society. And hmm. there's a lot of a lot of Christians I'm hearing that are fighting for our rights and standing up for our freedoms and claiming that we need this yeah. and we need that. And, and historically, we do our best work on the fringe uh, and what we can learn. We're doing a series on the Book of Acts at the moment, and I, I just think there's so much we can learn from how the early church handled the book of, uh, handled their society and interacted with a very fallen Roman Empire that is applicable to us, probably more heading in that direction for you guys. But certainly, you know, I hear Kerry Newhoff talk about it in Canada and here in the UK, these secular nations. We have to be ready for this. And I'm concerned that a lot of Christians aren't. Um, but for my part, I want our church to be a people who are ready to act out with love and compassion and kindness and show the love of Jesus to people in the hope that uh, we can reach people who are desperate right now. We're, we're seeing... Yeah. I believe this is the church's finest hour in Australia, so I'm looking forward to it. Hmm. Good, yeah. good. So you said, as a C3 pastor, you, you can't you can't actually be political in the pulpit or as a pastor in your role as a pastor. So talk about that for just a little bit, because I know yeah, sure. that we've got listeners who yep. are going to be political in the pulpit. Um, yeah, sure. I, I just know we do, and yeah. on both yeah. sides. Yes, so absolutely. Talk about yeah, being apolitical. Yeah, well, we, we've had, uh, you know, some that have been political in voices um, and we actually, during really a lot to do with the vaccine mandate conversation and all the polarisation mm. that was happening around that, uh, we don't have the level of polarisation politically in Australia that you guys have obviously had in the last few years in the United States. It's there and I would say that it's being probably largely influenced by the polarisation from the United States. So much of our Australian Christianity comes from you guys. Um, but it was still well, there. Thanks and, a lot, USA. <laughs> the good stuff. I mean, really, really good stuff as well, as well as some of the stuff that's obviously not so good, like like the polarization. But we, um, so our the leader of our movement uh, uh, in Australia, our national director, sent out an email to all all pastors uh, back 
12, 18 months ago and just just really said, look, we as a stance, we don't want our pastors to take a, um, a political stance. Um, it, it's not a directive. We're, we're in the sense that we're a group of autonomous churches. So if a pastor wanted to do, do it, there's not really any way they could stop them other than just to probably remove their ability to be called a C3 church, I suppose. Um, mm. But but the philosophy was uh, let's let's focus on Jesus really. Let's keep uh, that aspect of it rather than politicizing. So um, what that meant and the way I, I take that is that means not to be overly uh, political or partisan from the pulpit. I, I had a gentleman who rang me from our church just before our federal election and said, I don't know who to vote for. Who should I vote for? And I said, look, I don't really think that's my role. I explained to him that that's not really, uh, you know, my role and I'm not allowed to. I can point you to direction and get you to do your own thoughts. Um, However, um, that does make some challenges because I believe as Christians, I deeply believe that we also need to be... um, as pastors, we need to be training our people in how to think critically and how to engage with society. I'm certainly not a fan of uh, people pulling back and bunkering down and just withdrawing from society. So uh, that's probably a part of the sermon that you might have picked up on I was talking about was was how do we do that? And, and my challenge from a pulpit is to encourage people to try to act out the lifestyle that Jesus would have us act out, which is compassion, kindness, mm-hmm. mutuality, being willing to have our perspectives challenged, dignifying people in their disagreement with us. It's okay to have robust disagreement. I think, I don't know what it's like there, but I think here we've lost the art of robust disagreement. Uh, Social media hasn't helped with that. And so I'm just going to try and encourage my people. Same there, yeah. So I want to encourage our people to, with some simple skills, I guess, to be able to wade back into the, the world of robust conversation without feeling like you need to get defensive or fight for your freedoms or fight for your rights or fight for your perspective because someone's against you. I genuinely do believe there is a way to hold uh, conviction but do it in a loving way, and that's that's what I want to do. I want to yeah. be that kind yeah, so, of community. So you know here we had that decision that reversed the Roe v. Wade oh, thing, the abortion. It, it's made a lot of waves and, over here this week too. Yeah, 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 and I had a I had somebody email me from my church and young lady, and she said, "Thanks for talking about it this weekend, but thanks for the way you talked about it because well done." She says, "I've been I've been feeling like I've had to defend myself to myself that I'm excited for what happened, but I have to try to be defensive about being excited because so much of those who hold the position are holding it so poorly." Yeah. That you don't really want to be identified with <laughs> pe- people that are like that. Yeah. So they're speaking the truth out of kind of a uh, an approach and a tone and a personality yeah. and a lifestyle that is kind of offensive to unbelievers. Yeah. And it's such really tricky. But so this was even just a regular church attender. Yeah feeling like they didn't even know themselves as an individual how to even talk about these things because everything is taken so badly that yeah. if you and you, and I heard you saying that at the beginning of that message you yeah. know you, you you want to stick to your notes because yeah, and I've said that before too <laughs> yeah. I've written this so I'm just going to read this right now I don't normally yeah. read but I wrote it so I can read it because I want yeah. to make sure I get it right because people will will take it the wrong way uh, let's let's shift gears a little bit Ron sure in your church where you've got three different locations what is your general approach to keep everybody going in the same direction at the deepest level, like the the not 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 just the vision of your church, but the mission of your yeah. church, that everybody will kind of have the same last name, even though yes. they're in three different locations? Yeah. How how do you do that? Wow, what a, what a really good question. I love the way you phrased that, Jeff, because. Uh, we have found that you, you mentioned the difference between the general overarching vision and then that deeper mission because mm-hmm. we have had to create space for our churches to have their own flavor. Um, part of yeah. being three smaller churches, uh, you know, certainly when we started this a few years ago, there weren't many uh, multi-site churches here in Australia that were of s- similar to us. Most of them had a mothership, you know, a big mega church and then lots of others which gave them a pool of volunteers so they could just bring people in and it made it easier to streamline everything. We have found streamlining everything quite difficult. We had seasons where we do it, 
but there's other seasons where it's it's very challenging to do that because you've got smaller churches. It, it, they're in very different demographics. One's semi-rural, one's outer suburban, one's a beachside village. So different demographics, different people, different socioeconomic situations, available volunteers at the time. So we have to give flexibility to what does that location need at any given time. And that will play out in things like even just different preaching themes at times. However, that hmm. underlying mission um, that I know that my wife and I and our key team are very passionate about um, is that deeply deep commitment to being relevant to a world and showing them the kindness of Christ in a way that uh, will reach as many as possible, uh, but is quite different to a lot of what I see other churches doing. And, and I'm not here to say I, I have my reasons why I disagree with some of the, the vocalization that you referred to there, even from that uh, dear congregant of yours that mentioned you know, her contact with you about the overturn of Roe. Uh, so, but we just want to stay deeply committed to kindness, love, compassion, vulnerability, realness with people, accepting people where they're at. And that's real. I've really been able to solidify that in my mind. I've been, uh, my whole theology world has been turned upside down in the last few years by the likes of some of your guests. You've had MT Wright, Scott McKnight, people like Tim Mackey. And I've found a deeper love and excitement for the church and, God's people than I've ever had. And, and it empowers me to think our job here is to bring heaven to earth and do whatever it can to bring the kingdom values of justice and peace and life and healing and hope and to partner with God in that. So that's our underlying mission. And that comes out of us, I believe, through all our, it's, it's always there under the surface, whatever we're preaching about, whatever theme we've got, that's our mission. How can we be on mission, loving our community, reaching out, and we've had some great opportunities, so that's helped. We, we were able to start a, a charity uh, here that's attached to all three of our locations, which receives tax-deductible status. So I know, I think in America, you guys get tax-deductible status for your tithes and offerings, mm-hmm. but we, we don't get yeah. that here. So we were able to start a charity. We had bad bushfires that came about in 2019, 20, 2020 here. We had offerings from our movement. Even Elevation Church from the US sent us 40000 US dollars and so we were able to actually get out into our local community um, where we had massive amounts of at one particular little town, like 150 near one of our locations, 150 homes, I think probably 130 homes burned down, completely destroyed. Wow. So, so, and there's been ongoing relationship. It's not, I'd love to say, hey, everyone got saved and came to Jesus, but, yeah. but there's just, it's just the church. It's just people out there loving on people knocking on their doors, showing them kindness and compassion. And little by little, we're seeing the fruit of that. So that's what we were about, really. So so based on what you just said, what is becoming like your shtick, your, um, I don't know if you use that term in oh, I, think, I think I know what you mean. <laughs> okay. Like, like, what's your thing? If somebody, if, if we were to ask one of the people at your church, yeah, what is Rowan always, what's he always his go-to, is always preaching on? It's like, yeah, yeah, everybody knows he's going to go to that. Yeah. What's the thing that you, but, but on your side of it, you're like, oh, but I want my people to get this. Yeah, I want them yeah. to know it. And, you know, what is that thing for you, Rowan? I think for me, it's it's uh, what I call my life message and that's become more and more settled in my life uh, over the last few years is this thing that, hey, the, the Christian life is a glorious opportunity to be invited into partnership with the Lord to bring heaven to earth. And wherever you go and whatever you do, you can bring those values into other people's lives. You can dignify other people. You can make them feel loved and accepted that there is a God who loves them and cares for them, and you can demonstrate that to them. Sounds like a positive message. I hope so. Sounds like, yeah, yeah <laughs> sounds like you've forgotten about the fear of the Lord, Rowan. <laughs> sounds it like too. it's soft on sin, soft on the gospel, <laughs> compromising. Oh, I've had my fair share of people talk about repentance and talk about that. Uh, look, I'm I'm not. I don't. I'd like to think I'm never compromising on those things. I'm sure there are some, <laughs> some of your listeners might think I am. I my philosophy is absolutely. I remember Andy Stanley saying years ago. He was saying, "Hey, the gospel's offensive enough. We don't want anyone to be offended before they have a chance to be offended by the gospel." And yes. So, yes. You know, so no, I, really, I, I love I love what you said because yeah. I, you know I'm a few years ahead of you and I've I've come to that same spot because I grew up in kind of fundamentalist uh, roots, you know, yeah. where it was, it was black and white and it was, yeah. it was about, you know, our behavior and our looks and these, all these, a lot of these outward things. And now I'm realizing God doesn't lead with fear. 
Yeah. Um, I don't think God leads with how bad you are. As much as some preachers will want to say that you, we've got to get you so lost so that you can be found. Yeah. You know, I, I think God leads with love. He yeah. does. He leads with his. He leads with uh, this God who is transcendent and holy, other who comes down and scrunches himself into a human body oh, and is willing to walk with us. And that's just. Yeah. Well, you know, and I can see it in you. I can feel it with you. I can feel it with you. You just, you can just sit and think about that. And you just want to get your people and just get them to just go to the depths of what, it, what does the incarnation mean? Yeah. You know, the, yeah. the resurrection is wonderful, but when you, but, but couple it with that incarnation that the God becomes man, yeah. that deity becomes flesh. And what does that mean for his relationship with us? It's, it's phenomenal. <laughs> It is, and it's it's exciting if we can truly grasp that. I think it's very hard to live a stodgy, boring, angry Christian life where we're always pointing our fingers at the world if we reflect on just the depth and grace of God that he would do that, that he would come into the world. And Paul, as Paul said, save the worst of sinners just like him, you know, that depth of understanding that there but for the grace of God go I. Let me me continue to show that compassion to others because that will win people. Rowan, how have you kept yourself from despondency, despair, depression, discouragement? You know, over the last couple of years, it's been a little bit rocky. And you said you're only at, you know, 50, 60% return rate at this point. You know, you just, you're waiting for, you're waiting to get around the bend and, oh, we're finally there. You know, there it is. We can see the light at the end of the tunnel. How have you kept yourself up through this time? Well, that's a great way to put it. I was actually chatting on a WhatsApp chat with John Finkelly about this just this week, and we were discussing the stats and Barna's stats about the 42% of pastors I thought about quitting last year, and we were just chatting where we're at with that. And John was saying a lot of his coaching this year is around pastors' mental health, so it's it's a very mm-hmm. real issue. Um, and I was saying, as reflecting on that, I think for me, I, I love what I do, um, so I have not felt like giving up. But I think I've become what it's done for me, and it's probably been a good thing, is I've come to realize how much I was relying on or, or how much I was being affected by the message coming out all the time that of what success was. Success was big mm. church, big show, all that kind of stuff. And intellectually I might have said, no, that's not who we are, but realistically, there was always pressure. You know, when you see the social media feed on the Sunday and you see everybody's churches and everyone's putting on their best behavior and uh, everything's great. (laughs) And, you know, you said to me, I think you said it was in a chat, Jeff, you said, what's your superpower when you were first connecting with me? And I said, I think for me, my superpower is that I've realized in the last little while that I don't need to have a superpower. And that's Mm. been incredibly good for me. I, I feel like maybe it's just turning 50 recently, but I'm much more comfortable now with the plod with God. Uh, I don't feel the pressure to have to keep up appearances or keep up with anybody else. Uh, I don't want to fall back into laziness and just go, well, you know, I'm doing the best I can, therefore too bad. I, I want to keep uh, going forward. And I guess I'm I'm wired towards performance anyway. John Finkelty would always tell me when he coaches me, you don't need to worry about being lazy. That's not your problem. Overwork is your problem, yeah, right? Yeah. So because I know that and the, that voice from having a coach in the back of my mind, it helps me to be more comfortable with just going, Pastoring is flipping hard work, and I just got to keep plotting. And or just like Dory, just keep swimming, you know, little by little. And if I can do that and lower the bar of expectation, that will help my own mental health. You just turned fifty. I just recently turned fifty-nine, and I can tell you that the great blessing of the fifties is you finally have the wisdom that you've been waiting all your life for. <laughs> Thank you. Looking forward to it. <laughs> well, you've got. Do you have two grandkids? We've got two grandkids, yeah, yeah. The little girl and the little boy. Yeah, well done. I saw yeah, their got pictures. Little girl, little boy. Yeah, they're cute. Oh, I saw their pictures, man. You yeah. and your wife holding them. Yes, oh, the yeah. Cutest. I they're mean, gorgeous. That's the best, right? That's the it best. Is. It's the absolute and best. Yeah. You got those young in life, and yeah, you're we did. Be able to. They're they're so much better than having your own kids. <laughs> I know, I know. But my, Jeff, we raised five kids, and and then we got two grandkids, and we look after them one day a week on our day off, and we get to the end of that day, yeah. and we're just completely exhausted. And I, and I just say to my wife, 
as we're driving home, how the heck did we do this for 15 I know, years? right? <laughs> 20 years, <laughs> day in, day out, five five kids. I don't know how we did it. I'm just, uh, the energy levels aren't what they used to be, I think. How old yeah. is your uh, is your granddaughter? Our granddaughter is just about to turn four, and our son, who's okay. actually in hospital at the moment with a virus, just as I'm speaking oh. to you, but he's he's just turned one. So at least he's in the right okay. place. He's getting the care he needs, but yes. he's just turned one. Yeah. Yeah. My oldest three are all five years old. Okay. And oh. the eighth one, this eighth one is going to be born in July. And I say to my wife, exa- the same exact thing, you know, we spend time with them. We say, yeah, but we're not 24 seven with these <laughs> yeah. kids yeah. in our home. Yeah. It's and now so you've got three, five year olds all at once coming at all at yes. the same time. Oh, we, that's we had, we had our first three in uh, five and a half months. Woof. And we had our first, well, our first eight in less than six years. Yeah, so that's it's phenomenal. been, it's been great. It's been great. So you said that you know you like what you do, yep. and I, I love what I do too. And yep. more and more, I'm learning that along with loving what I do, I have to love the people I serve. I have to love the people, yeah. and that helps me to love what I do because I'm not administrative. Right. So some of what I have to do is administrative and I don't really, I don't love that because it doesn't come natural to me, but being around people and caring for people, that's, that's my sweet spot. You know, that's where I don't even have to think about it. It's just, I know what to do around people. That comes out when I listen to you, when I listen to you speak, that comes out. You can see that you're a people person for sure, Jeff. But, but totally disorganized, right? (laughs) (laughs) don't answer that no no i won't won't go there (laughs) so okay so so another question you've got three locations and the third one you acquired just in the last what uh year or two just coming up to two years ago literally in the middle of lockdown so we transitioned to church when we couldn't even meet in person so it was an interesting experience yeah have you ever thought like have you ever thought what what would it be like if if i had all these people in one location or have you not really gone there and, and you see the benefit of smaller venues? And are there benefits to smaller venues? Because after all, 200 churches is about churches of 200, give or 200 take, or 100 give or, or take, two. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Um, uh, I think our churches are far enough apart that they wouldn't necessarily flow. Uh, the previous right. two that yeah. we had, they, they're only 25 minutes apart. They're separated by a, a hill, which basically gives them a, a completely different demographic. Oh, yeah. Uh, we, did, we did consider the possibility. We wondered when we first took them back on 10 years ago, maybe we could move up and look to build a church on the top of the hill and, and unify those two. Uh, as time has gone on, I am more of a believer than ever that uh, people want small churches. Majority of people want small churches. And, you know, I, I know Carl Vader's and listen, re- having read his book and the vast majority of people want that. So I, I tend to feel like uh, the large church feel most of our people wouldn't be up for it. We all like going to conference and having the big thing now and then. Yeah. But most of the people we have, they they want the community. They want to know everyone who's there. And so it has its huge pluses, no doubt about it. Having smaller churches, smaller communities has its huge pluses. The challenges that come with that, um, that make me think from time to time, these are the, the downsides of it pastorally it can be very hard for me because and and for Jill as well we ourselves feel like because they're all smaller locations there's almost this unwritten expectation that we will be able to be uh, Mm. a small church pastor yeah and and we physically can't do that you know so that's that's one of the challenges where we spread ourselves because over five or six hundred people it's very different to trying to do it more four or five hundred people very different to trying to do it with a church of 150 people but there's that expectation so we've had to communicate that well that's a downside the upside is we've got amazing location pastors and they do a fantastic job they're much better pastors than i am jill's like you jeff she she loves pastoring people i'm more of a systems person so i i'm I'm an extrovert but i do find after a while i get um i get over pastoring people so i like to lead people (laughs) (laughs) but she's good at it Our, our locations are good at it so yeah, I'd, I think the benefit outweighs the the, um, the detriments, really. Plus, people get to serve. You know, you just got to lower your bar of expectation around professionalism. Yep. You've got to be comfortable. On some Sundays, you're just going to have a guitar and and a, or just a keyboard and a vocalist. You're not going to have the resources to have a big band every week. But as long as you lower that, the trade-off is people are volunteering. People are finding their fit. 
there's always more to do than there is people to do it. Yeah. So that that's yeah. great. I love that about it. That's good. And I like what you said about people wanting, people want smaller churches. Pastors yeah. sometimes want larger churches yeah. because it feeds their ego. Yeah. You know, hey, more people want to listen to me, but people yeah. like smaller churches. We have a, a, we have a building size that would fit everybody at the same time, yeah. but we still do two different services because people like, they ha- like having the options. Yeah, but then options I as well think they like being able to see people and see that some of the same people. Um, For me, I went from a church of 175 to 200 to a church of four to 500 now. And one of my struggles is, is just the time that Mm. I can't spend with people. We had an older couple that was um, disgruntled about some stuff and they expressed it recently. And, and they said, we're, we we know we're just old and grouchy and <laughs> but they were like so i went over to their place and and i just hung out for 2 hours and we talked and visited and that's just what they needed yeah. but i can't do that with everybody and that's that's the side of me that sometimes i wonder you know man god why would you put me here when yeah. you because know, you're so that, passionate about that right yeah. about with people but yeah. but then i see that you know this church um, I've noticed that whenever I'm at a church, it's because the church needs somebody like me. And then when I leave, they usually get somebody different. And before <laughs> I came, there was somebody different. But that's true for all of us as pastors. Yeah, that's you we, know? we we are we aren't the answer. We are just part of the puzzle, right? You know, and yeah. you're 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 a great fit for where you're at right now. And you've got the other people, like you said, that are that are uh, ministering to people one on one. Okay, yeah. so now it, you're a systems guy. Yep. How do you set yourself up for spiritual vitality to stay connected with God? And I, I would hate to get this question, so I'm giving you a question I would hate to get because <laughs> the older I get, the more the more organic I get in my disciplines. Yeah. Um, the more I want to be a friend of God's and yep. not the student in His classroom. Um, but for you. Now, now that you're at the ripe old age of fifty, how are you? Uh, how are you walking with God these days? Just not even so much as a pastor, but just as a person. Just as a, I had a conversation with one of our team about this very thing the other week, and and being comfortable with what I think is the way I handle my Christian life, rather than expectations that others put on me. I, I may be systems and organized. I don't regiment uh, scriptural prayer time. I've had my seasons of that. That's not a season I'm in right now. I I do love the Word of God, so I, I probably get my most life out of spiritual life. This might seem strange to many, but out of studying the Word of God, I find God mm-hmm. in the Scriptures, and I, I love listening to podcasts, people teaching the Scriptures. So that actually gives me vitality. For many, that wouldn't be it. You know, locking themselves down and having a, a one-hour prayer time would be it. Um, I rarely do regimented prayer times. I feel that the way I communicate with God is I just try to keep it happening all the time. I fill myself with God's word uh, and I'm in communication with God just day in, day out. Uh, I rarely, even occasionally, maybe occasionally will whack on a Christian uh, worship music in my car when I'm driving. Usually it's if I just feel like I need to block block everything out and just spend some time with the Lord. More more often than not, though, I've come to realize I find God in his word and I I grow Mm. through that. I use my YouVersion Bible app and and I go through the Bible every, I use the Bible in 90 days. So I go through, have it read to me every 90 days, I'm getting through it. So I'm spending 25 minutes or thereabouts a day in double time in the Word of God, listening to it at double speed. Mm. I have yeah. my time studying it as well, but that's more of the overarching thing. And that just keeps me on track. And I know that for some that would become legalism, but for me it's just, I've been doing that for the last five or six years now. Probably been through the Bible 30 odd times in that time. And and to me, it just it's the life. It just keeps me vibrant in my relationship with the Lord. So I've had conversations with people recently on our podcast, Pro and Con, about whether or not to use your prep time as devotional time yeah. or how either how it's okay to do that or how, oh, don't do that. You know, make sure you have your own. And the where I've come to over the years is I can't 
how do you disconnect yourself from devotional time when you're studying God's word and you're like really focused because you want to learn it and understand it so you can share it and teach it and live it. I mean, that's for me, that's like, that's life right there. And it sounds like you get the same growth out of that prep time. Yeah. I would say I don't, I try to avoid preparing sermons. For me, it doesn't work to prepare sermons the week before. I know for some that's the way they flow. Mm-hmm. Um, I've always been a big proponent for me. I'll go away for 24 hours and I'll smash out six or ten sermons. And I might not have the full framework, but I'll, yeah. I'll, but I'll have the template there. But that works for me. So I am merging my Bible study with my with my actual sermon prep. But because I spend so much of my life in Bible study, it flows out of me when I do my sermon prep. So to me, I can't compartmentalize them to either or. I think they're happening simultaneously at any given time. I'll be in the middle of a devotion and I'll get a sermon thought and I'll write it down. I might not visit that for months, but it's there. So hmm. it all flows together for me. I'm with you on that. Yeah. So and that's not to say it's for everybody. I get the different ways of doing it. Yeah. We'll listen to somebody that we respect or that we like and they'll say, well, I do it this way or that way. And then we feel like we feel pressured that yeah. Oh, what's what's wrong with me? Maybe I should be doing it that way. Yeah. When surely by the time we get to no. our fifties, like you said, we have to be just comfortable. By now, we should be able to find our fit. We need to be able to go what yeah. works for us and be humble enough to know it doesn't need need to be that way for everybody else. That's okay. Final question. Yeah, it's like we're on a game show, isn't it? Final question. <laughs> yeah. You uh, you've got kids and five kids. How many of them are married? Just uh, two. We had a second one. A second, our son just okay. got remarried just recently, so we've got two two of the five married. Yep. And you got a busy family. How yep. have you managed over the years to successfully balance ministry and family? What kind of what's been your um, your guiding principle that that you that you and your wife have lived by? <sighs> Uh, that's a that's a good question. We often think about what that is. I, I would say we've just always tried to be friends with our kids, and I know that some people won't like that, but we, our kids like have had that. their challenges. You like that? And I as do. they become adults, stay friendly with them. And our kids have had their challenges, um, you know, with mental health and different things. Our, our middle child, our daughter, she she's got her own story. She went through sexual abuse by our youth leader under our leadership, and he spent time in oh. prison, and and that was, uh, you know, she's developing a ministry out of that in her own right but you know that created all kinds of challenges uh and we thought we were we thought we'd done everything we could we thought we had all our checks and balances in place and it still took place so uh we've just done what we can to let our kids know that hey we unconditionally support them regardless of where they're at regardless of what they're facing if we can do that we our philosophy is that that if they know we're there when we need when they need us to be there and we're an ear to listen then we've come into a good place with our kids. And, uh, you know, they're all in different seasons in their walk with the Lord, but they know we love them. So now you've just opened a Pandora's box that we'll have to save for another for another. <laughs> Sorry, episode. I shouldn't have. It just took no, the as I was talking about. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's yeah. good because because that's where, that's where our heart for people comes out yeah. of that brokenness and that pain. Yeah. yeah. Especially when it, when it's with our kids. I, yeah. I have told people that, I have four four kids. They're all four married, and each one of our kids has experienced uh, great pain in their mm. lives mm. It, for for different reasons and in different way. They've all endured great suffering. Um, yeah, you know, and they're all you know fine, <laughs> right? Yeah. They're, yeah, yeah, they're yeah. married. They're, things are yeah. okay, but I think the I think the deepest people, the people that um, have character and empathy and grace for others are people who suffer and go through pain. And we hate to see it, but if we kind of look back over the last, I'd say our oldest, our oldest daughter has been out of the house now for 16 years and our youngest son now just for like two years. And if we stack it all up, there's been pain upon suffering upon Mm. anguish you know just going through the normal rhythms of life and as pastors uh i think it's good uh i grew up with pastors who they had it all together their families were just fine they they made it look like they did sometimes (laughs) exactly exactly (laughs) you couldn't you couldn't let on um and i think it's so helpful well one of carrie newhoff's recent posts maybe it just even came out today 
one of the ways to have a, a, a good message is to have at least one self-deprecating story yeah. Yeah. in your message so yeah. that people can see that, yeah, you're, you know, you're not like way up there yeah. and they don't have to be way up there because you look at the biblical characters and none well, of them the Lord are way leaves up them there. In there. Lord, the Lord leaves all dysfunction in there. He doesn't whitewash it. To me, that's one of the greatest, yeah. uh, greatest evidences for the authenticity of scripture is that it wasn't whitewashed. Yes. And, you yeah. know, and you're right. Absolutely. I, I would grew up in a, perfe- a perfectionist sort of mentality. My wife's had she, her own journey with mental health and, and that has led to challenges with that. And I've, we actually have a, a, a value that I say regularly from the pulpit. We both do. We say in this place, vulnerability is an asset. We don't see that as a, a liability. In fact, if you if you want to have a position of influence in this church and you're not vulnerable, you're not going to get it. So we reverse it on its head because we just feel like realness and vulnerability and brokenness is the journey we're all on. And if, we, if we're hiding that, we're not going to be a benefit to other people. That was the statement. You put it in right at the end. If you're not going to be vulnerable, you don't get a position of leadership in this church. That is so good. That's there's a lot. There's a lot to unpack on that. Hey, what's your what's your final word to pastors? Word of encouragement to pastors. Wherever you're at, uh, I've talked to lots of pastors. Been on this journey. I just think just keep going with God. If if you feel the call of God is still there, friends, just keep going. Lower your bar of expectation. It is flipping hard work. God is faithful. Don't let other people measure you. You just keep plodding along with God. It's going to be okay. Rowan, thank you. Thank you, Jeff. It's been a privilege and an honor. I really appreciate you guys and all you do. One of the great things about the 200 Churches podcast for Jeff Katie is it helps me to make friends. I mean, I needed to start a podcast just to make new friends. I found Johnny then realized I needed to do a lot better than that. So we started the podcast and we both have made a lot of new friends. And one of the things that Rowan said today was so important. He said, If you want to be a leader in our church and you don't want to be vulnerable, you don't get to lead. That is so powerful. To be vulnerable, to let people know some of the struggles that you go through. And of course, we always say that that's within reason, right? As a shepherd, as a pastor, and as a leader, you just can't be constantly emoting on your people and sharing all of your worst stories and the worst side of yourself. But you have to let people know that you're on the journey with them because you are. We are on the journey with our people in search for God, in search for spiritual intimacy with Him, in search for a relationship with Him that is so vibrant and alive that it draws other people to Jesus. Rowan, thank you so much for what you shared today. And it's great to have you as a listener. And it's great to have all of you as listeners. So on behalf of Johnny, And myself, thanks for listening today, and we'll catch you next week on the 200 Churches Podcast.